Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 21 of the Coach's Journey podcast. Robbie here, uh, and the guest in this episode is Carla Flynn. Carla is a sought-after coach, mentor, and speaker. She's been coaching teams and leaders for more than two decades, uh, and she's also the author of the book, The Power of Human Energy. Her coaching journey began in the early 90s, long before coaching became the kind of much more well-known industry that it is today. She trained first in counselling when someone said, "Uh, you you know, you should be a counsellor, and later moved into coaching, also training in NLP and and psychometric assessment tools. Um, And one of the key moments was when she was recruited to participate in Ashridge Business School's first coaching master's course, which um, because she's a self-described learning junkie and she loves these, she loves intense learning experiences, she completed the five-year course in just two years. It was a real um, life changer for her, opening her eyes to all there was to learn, um, making the pie of, of learning even bigger for her than when she thought maybe at the start of it that she would leave it um, with the pie of what was left to learn, feeling a lot smaller. Um, and she knew through that work and, and through the work she did afterwards that she'd found the vocation that makes her heart sing. Events in her personal life were not running that smoothly. Um, in particular, she went through a challenging period of illness, and as she recovered from that much, much faster than doctors, the doctors had predicted, um, she realised she had something to teach uh, about energy, about humans, about how we work, and that is where her book came in. Um, she talks brilliantly about the vulnerable moment um, where she pressed publish and then hid for two months. But the five-star reviews came pouring in on Amazon. Um, and today, Carla's programs and sessions and the masterclasses and much of her work provides an introduction to the ideas in that book and how they can be applied within all sorts of settings and with all kinds of uh, benefits. She's currently working on her next book on the power of human connection, which um, I think many of you will agree is a is a really important uh, topic today. We touch on loads of stuff in this episode. We talk about we dive we talk about diving under the bonnet and the realization that it's okay to challenge people and it's not always about being nice. Um, I get to pick her brain on her journey through the publishing world, um, which is a place that I was in when I was well, I still am in, uh, and uh, you know when it comes to traditional publishing and self publishing and where her book took her and what she learned from the process. Um, uh, we get into the ins and outs of team coaching, which I know lots of people are curious about. And, and Carla's a really experienced team coach and gives some great, um, great pointers on that. That's towards the end of the episode. Um, and we also touch really on, in some ways, a theme of the episode, but, but she speaks beautifully about personal struggles and how adversity for her added strength and insight. It took her listening and inquiry to deeper places. Uh, what I loved about... This episode really is is that we get to that stuff. Carla's really open about the the, the difficult times in her life. Um, you know, we also talk about raising children alone um, in there too. And, and in some ways, that was was what when I first met Carla. I, I think I took, we talk about it right at the start of the episode at a Robert Holden workshop. We had this beautiful conversation, one of those conversations where everyone else has left suddenly around you, and, and, and we've just been talking in the meantime. And something about um, Carla's courage in talking about the the adversity she's been through, but coupled with this amazing expertise that she brings across um, the world of learning, development and coaching, you know, we, we get into it in this episode, we get to all that practical stuff. She talks about NLP and psychometrics and she talks about, we talk about working online at the start. Um, we talk about publishing books, we get into team coaching and those two things together make this um, 
a, a really nice episode, which has got just so much for people to take away. We'll get into that in a sec, but just wanted to say, just to remind people that the Coach's Journey community is now well and truly up and running. Um, the next uh, call, community call won't be till the kind of end of February because I'm taking some time off in the meantime to um, take some paternity leave. But uh, there will be an episode in at the start of Feb. Don't worry about that. You can look out for that and you can find out more about the Coach's Journey community and also supporting the podcast uh, at thecoachesjourney.com um, slash community for the community and patreon.com slash thecoachesjourney to sign up to the community and also to support the podcast. Uh, and listen out at the end of the show for a little bit more about that if you want to. Um, but in the meantime, um, can't wait to let you... Uh, dive into this brilliant interview with Carla. Um, uh, we start off by, you know, when I was listening back, I was thinking we, we start off with a conversation about working during coronavirus, which again, for the practicalities includes stuff about working online, the differences, working with teams online versus working with one-on-one online, where we coach, all those kinds of things. Um, I was worried when we did this a little bit um, <laughs> that it might be out of date by the time the show came out. Um, but uh doesn't seem to be we're all still working under restrictions and of course a part of the conversations is that they happened at a particular moment in time um look i hope you enjoy getting to know carla as much as i did when i first met her and again more even more so during this um during this interview um and yeah without further ado enjoy episode 21 of the coach's journey podcast with the wonderful carla flynn Carla, welcome to the Coach's Journey podcast. Hey, Robbie, great to be here. Great to see you yeah. after such a long time. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we were just talking. We just kind of had off air the, the conversation about. We just had a lovely conversation, in fact. Um, and and then I kept bemoaning the fact that we hadn't already like started the, the show properly. But we were saying, yeah, we met at a. Um, part of the really nice conversation we just had was a reflection yeah. on the first conversation we had, which was a really beautiful Robert Holden three-day event and um, coach camp, which yeah. for anyone who's listening, yeah. really recommend. Super cool. Robert Holden is a lovely, uh, deep man. And I'm, I was just, I was saying to you, I'm going to do some work with him next year on one of his masterminds and excited about that. And his coach camp is cool yeah. because it's like, yeah. he just brought all like, you know, I can't remember what it was like nine, the nine different parts of his work, well, maybe not that many. They're like the yeah. eight, like what would it be like? Maybe maybe the like eighteen bits of his work. It's like a lot because it's like look, three days yeah, of, yeah, of two hour is. workshops yeah. on each. So like a bit on his bit about love, a bit yeah. on his bit about success, and it's such so good. Yeah, and one of yeah. them, my favorite moments. I was yeah. I, I, I was saying in a message yeah. to you was we had this beautiful conversation at the end of the first day. Um, and yes, yeah, yeah, it feels like particularly because of what's happened in the world since then. It feels like a really long time ago, um, but it's lovely to be here with you again. <laughs> Thank you, Robbie. It's lovely to be here with you too. And you're right. It's So this work, this year for me has absolutely flown by. And, it, and that probably is the reason why it feels a lot longer than it probably was than we did last meet. But yeah, it does feel an age ago. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, we're recording, when are we, October, and it, it, obviously usually I record yeah. these a couple of months before they come out, so people won't be hearing it for a little while, but but yeah. the year, so the year we're talking about, of course, is, is 2020. Yes. Like, so, and I mean, as much or as little as you want to say about this, but I guess it's interesting to be mm. reflecting while in the middle of this on how this strange 
incredibly yeah. unusual, unprecedented thing in the modern age, at least, has mm. happened in the world. Mm. And what effect that has had on, you know, I'm curious about what effect that's had on you, yeah. both as a person and, of course, in the work you do. And, and we'll get into exactly the work you do. Yeah. And you could start telling us now, but yeah. um, we'll, yeah. we'll get more into that later. But, yeah, what's what's it been like this year? How's it been for you? Well, really, really interesting. Um, it, it, surprising that the first week of lockdown, when we had that lockdown back in March, I think it was right at the beginning of March, it was very bizarre. It was like, you know, when it snows at Christmas and New Year and the whole world stops in January, it was a bit like that. Everything had just stopped, but only there was no snow outside. Um, and so everything was just like on suspended animation. Um, and I did not know what was happening, as in which way things were going to go. And people around me were very, uh, it was a combination. Some people were worried. Some people were just like, great, it feels like a bit of an extended holiday. So it was just like a bizarre uncertainty because you had all this kaleidoscope of emotions and feelings you know, that people were people going through. And then, so I, then I started hearing how lots of people's work and client base had imploded. And I thought, Ooh, right. Okay. I'm I, that, that I wasn't sure whether to be concerned or not, or how that would impact me. I mean, you know, a, a percentage of my work is actually online anyway. So that bit was slightly reassuring. That I thought, well, there are some things that probably won't change. And if they do, they do. Um, but the, I guess, 60%, 70% of my work, which was face-to-face or in-person delivery, that was then thrown in the air like a deck of cards. And, but they were suspended in the air. They hadn't actually mm-hmm. fallen anywhere. So I thought, oh, right. Um, and then... Uh, about three or four weeks later, it it started to just go crazy. And I have never been as busy for over a decade. Wow. It's absolutely mad. Um, and I think the other thing I've noticed is probably the reason why it's so feeling so busy is because you're not traveling, you're not spending time weaving in travel time from one meeting to another or going from one location to another, you're just like completely on it. So the the thing that I've learned about me is I've had to walk my talk in terms of making sure I've created enough pockets of space, windows in between client sessions. um, So that I've got, you know, breakout sessions, you know, um, break state sessions, uh, just paying attention to your energy and actually making sure that you know, there's enough time to replenish that energy because for about four weeks, it was literally back to back and you were starting early, finishing quite late. All of a sudden, there was another 48 hours that you found or you were adding to a, a very busy working week anyway. So that was quite crazy. I don't know. How did you find it? Yeah, well, it was just making me think. It, it, it just some like, <laughs> you know, unexpected things really like I, I just think I hadn't so I quite like working at home uh, I like working yeah. like by myself you know it's, it's actually an improvement yeah. on my work home from home because I've got Emma here now so that's like yeah. really nice yeah. um and nice. Yeah. I mostly just work online so the, yeah. so the, the practical changes to my work didn't look that big but the impact on me like I suddenly realized after like a few weeks of it like I realized I had to get out to the 
to the yeah. park, to the river, you know, somewhere, which, yeah. you know, was just taken care of by, um, by uh, you know, weekend trips or yeah. social things or the, the kind yeah. of probably for me, the like 10, 15% of my work that was in personal face-to-face, like those things would, yeah. would give me something I didn't realize I was missing. And when that really hit me, it was the first time we really went away somewhere. Like once mm-hmm. the lockdown had been released a little bit, yeah. we went to visit my sister-in-law and brother-in-law and nephew. And it was just like we were sat in the garden and we were doing it in a socially distanced way um, uh, and all that kind of thing. But yeah. I was just like, I just had this realization so strong that I had to say it out loud. It was like, yeah. oh, wow, I just feel so good to see you and to be here and to be yeah. somewhere different. And so... Yeah. I think that's one of the things that that definitely, um, yeah, I've learned from all this. Yeah, uh, uh, that's interesting you should say that because I would echo that in terms of, you know, you don't really appreciate, you know, when you still saw your family and your loved ones as much as we do now, you know, because yeah, you know yeah. that you can't, you know, my parents, I grew up in Loughborough and my parents and my brother are there, we're quite a close family. And as soon as this happens, you know, we, we couldn't see them. It took us six months, five, five six months to actually see them. And, and yeah. Zoom's not great. <laughs> for things it's, not, it's, it's not the same. No. Uh, but when we first saw them, it was heartbreaking because we had to see them from, you know, a, across the road, you know, with masks on. And then, yeah, that is very, very strange. It's like, you know, you couldn't write this stuff really, could you? <laughs> it's absolutely amazing. And, you know, there's these strange kind of things. And I know different people will play with, you know, I think one of the interesting things about this situation from a kind of mm. uh, human science or looking at the world point of view, you know, yeah. is it's it's been a game since the rules got relaxed after that initial lockdown. Yeah. The whole thing has been a really interesting uh, risk negotiation a lot of the time is, is how mm. I realised I've come to see it. It's like, including when we went to see, you know, um, Catherine and James and Theo, you know, the, that first visit, it's yeah. like, um, okay, what are we comfortable with doing in terms right. of staying or visiting or inside or outside? What are they comfortable with? Yeah. We've got some extra things we need to think about because of our situation. So have they, how do yeah. we ma- all manage that? Then the same conversation, Emma's mom and dad live near there. So it's like yeah. the same kind of thing with them working it out, even with friends who I might meet socially distanced you know around around here now it's like okay I'm happy to go for a walk or to sit in a pub right now are you though and it's okay if you're not because you know we don't know with everyone what um yeah who they are going to be in contact with how vulnerable they might be you know it's one thing for me to put myself at risk of catching the virus as a 30 something you know person but it's a different if you know my friends is has to visit her aunt who is for whatever reason vulnerable so you get these whole all these interesting conversations and but they are it is this strange thing with humans isn't it where we're getting to a kind of like it's normal to not hug people when I see them now you know which which is which I didn't think would happen to me but has definitely happened yeah it's it's interesting isn't it you just you were a lot more conscious I think a lot of what I've noticed, and, and certainly that's what I've learned about myself. You, you're a lot more aware of your how you are physically, where you're standing, what you're doing. You, you know, the, the new before didn't really need need to pay much attention to that. Um, but you know, you're consciously a lot aware of okay, is there enough distance? <laughs> you know? Absolutely. But the online stuff is fine. You know, what I've found after 
getting over the Zoom fatigue of the back-to-back um, meetings, um, you know, managing energy has been quite quite helpful, quite resourceful because it, I find it um, easier to be attentive or it has been quite – being in the moment hasn't been as challenging as I thought it might Um yeah, I think like when I when I started doing more work online with clients, mm. I kind of noticed quite quickly there's some real advantages to it. Mm. You know, and one of them is both of you can really manage the space. Yeah. Um, without you having you can have, you can we can both be in and we can do it for this as well, like to a certain yeah, extent. Yeah. We can both yeah. be in like the perfect space for us for this conversation. Yes. Even yeah. if for both of us that's quite a different space. And yeah. you know. Yeah. when doing one-on-one work in person with people unless I'm going to their workplace yeah yeah it's like I don't I've never found I don't know if you have actually in London a place which is like perfect yeah. <laughs> and, and so it's either yeah. a kind of slightly dull like yeah. kind of therapy room yeah. somewhere <laughs> yeah or it's somewhere that's like a bit too public yeah which for some work is just not appropriate but if it's the if it's the therapy room that's also quite intense for people who Mm. aren't used to having an intense conversation with a stranger to then take that into a private room that's a different thing and what I really like about meeting people especially clients for the first time actually online is they can be somewhere they're totally comfortable I can be somewhere different we can both be private in that Mm. place and that's and that often does I think you're right lead to a different kind of or a in some ways, an easier presence. I don't know what you, yeah. What do, what do you think about that? And and yeah. and also, have you uh, have you ever found the perfect place to meet clients in London? Like that's the other thing that I should ask you at this point. <laughs> Still on the lookout for it. Still on the lookout for it. Um, I perfect. I think I'm not really. I haven't really thought about is this a perfect place. I think if for me, if it's a perfect place if the client is in a comfortable place, because I'm, I'm, I'm more interested in paying attention to the client and how the client is responding in the moment um, than I am about the space. So, you know, when, when you've been doing this for a couple of decades, you know, you encounter all sorts of spaces, including the noisy ones. The perfect place is not the noisy places because when you can't actually hear your client because the noise in the background, particularly noisy coffee shops, is drowning out what they're saying. That's really kind of like challenging because you don't want to keep saying, sorry, what was that you just said, particularly when you're trying to be in the moment. So you have to become quite good at lip reading as well. Um, but so as long as it's not too noisy, then it's it's really how is the client in that space and how, how can I then hold that space and create that space for, with the client for the client? Um, but the, the, I mean, the the walking as well, what kind of coaching are you doing? You know, walking coaching is actually quite good in London because there's so many different places you can actually walk and coach as well. So that's quite, particularly the, you know, the green spaces that you have in London. Um, and I've also been quite lucky to be able to work from clients of you know offices uh, so they have meeting rooms a lot of my clients have you know their own access to their own meeting rooms um and a lot of them are great they've got all the technology that you need you know whiteboards and flip charts and you know the space to get up and walk around so that, that they've been really really helpful particularly for team coaching team for, when you're team coaching that kind of space is really helpful really resourceful and so that is, I have done team coaching online, 
but I do find I, I enjoy the physical in-person team coaching a lot more than the online uh, version. However, you know, uh, it, it, it does work online as well. It's just different because you have to um, appreciate the lag, the sound quality, and it's how do you make the space? So making sure everybody's voice is in the room. So Yeah, and um, there's something, isn't there, that I think we've learned about Zoom uh, or any other online platform in the last yeah. six months around, mm-hmm. like my f- friend of a friend put it really nicely. He said he just, he, he loves, he really loves, um, like, uh, what do you say? Like, I really love catching up with my friends on Zoom on a, and it's fun because yeah. I'm getting to yeah. see friends yeah. that I wouldn't be able to meet in person. Yeah. And I really yeah. miss the spontaneity of a conversation around a table in a pub. Yes. as an example and I think it's exactly yeah. the same I think it's the same thing you're talking about it's like there's yeah. just a way that we didn't you know I don't think most people were conscious of yeah. that we don't yeah. uh, humans are able to manage the 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 connections between a group of people yes um, in, in a really dynamic way like not all of us and not all of us yeah. all the time and not all of us perfectly but we are able to do yeah. that in a way that you just can't do online and that includes being able to have choose the moment to have the conversation across the table in the pub exactly. uh, which you yeah. just can't do when there's seven of you on zoom uh, no. and it's the same I think with a team yeah. there yeah. it's like or a group of people you can do a lot of and what I do quite a lot of when I'm working with groups is you can do a lot of beautiful yeah. like one-to-one work in the group which everyone is present for and and learn from but yeah. it's a, a different thing I think to dynamically be with a whole group at the same time exactly exactly so, you know, you can't have those cross conversations or those little pockets, you know, because people, people can't talk at the same time, really. So that way, it's how do you create that atmosphere that is going to be as close to having the sim- a similar kind of atmosphere, um, you know, physically? And ha- other than having breakout rooms, you know, you've got to make sure, find a way of making sure everybody's voice is in that room. But the one-to-one stuff is exactly what you said. You know, you can really hold that space and, you know, there aren't any distractions uh, for, for both you or the client, the coachee. Um, and I think that you get more out of it. There's a lot more to pay attention to and you do have to work hard because you've got, you know, how do you look at the lens, look at the person? So it's that balance, isn't it? So there's a lot more to pay attention to. But at the same time, it I I I found it a lot more easier to do. Well, I've just adapted to it, but I I get I seem to get more out of it. Pick pick more up, you know the um, the things that don't get said, you know the the nonverbal cues, all that kind of stuff. Um, so long as there's no lag, then yeah, I I find I pick up more um, online. Yeah. And, and just to say, this is like not for you, but just for yeah. people who are listening in, because I think it's a it's an insight, a realization that I had like really early on in when I started working online mm. was just that to, to, there's some good contracting around online that I think was just as soon as I had that, I can't remember if I learned it from someone, I think I just kind of had the thought myself after some bad online coaching experiences where there was a lag, there were problems. It's yeah. just like, ha- you know, for me, I had like three backups. In fact, it's the same was true for this call. Like, not quite three because recording's a bit tricky. But you know, if I'm coaching. If the, if it's going wrong, like we can cut the videos, and we can do yes. it just audio. Like that's better than having both of us worry about. It's like what you said about the coffee shop where it's too mm. loud. If you can't focus on the yes. person because something's going wrong with the technology, fix yeah. that. Like don't suffer in silence. And and the same for the client. And you know, I would always, yeah, I you know, 
be ready to phone them. You know, I've, I've always got, yeah. I can always, even, even international clients, like you can phone them via Skype. It, it works. It's, it's good. It's more reliable than, um, the, mm-hmm. the problems with the lags and that kind of thing. And I think yeah. having that stuff yeah. in, in place is, is really important. Yeah. It can't, kind of can't be said enough, especially when yeah. we're all doing yeah. this. Um, Carla, you've, you've like given us so many beautiful places that we could jump off on from that. And, and it's yeah. possible. <laughs> I want to get back to at some point team coaching, uh, yeah. because I think there's some really, it's like an air, it's like a phrase that a lot of people say and different people mean slightly different things by. And I'd just love to hear about you and how you do that, but probably later mm-hmm. in the conversation. Because I think I know about this and I think, but I think it's useful for listeners probably and people who are, or people who are watching to mm-hmm. get a feel for how you came to this. Like you said, you've been coaching for, for decades. It's like, it's, you're not new to this kind of work and... <laughs> Um, we'll start with that way that I often yeah. start in these interviews, which is like, when did you first come across yeah. coaching? When I first came across coaching was probably, I, I'm not even aware of how, that it was coaching, was the environment that I grew up in. Um, my, my father always said, you're very philosophical. Uh, if From the age of four, you were always very philosophical. And I said, well, what does that mean? He said, well, you always ask so much question, so many questions. And I think, you know, it's interesting because my mum used to get irritated. <laughs> you, you ask too many questions. Ask too many. And my father would actually say, no, never, never be shy of asking questions. It's it's really good. To, you know, it's good that you, you, you're more interested in asking questions than telling, um, you know, people how the world works. Uh, so I've always had that childlike curiosity. I kind of must have been born with it because I never grew out of it. Um, yeah, and then, it sounds also though, Carla, like it, you, you know that that thing that might have been natural in you was also encouraged in you. You know, it's like it's it's perfectly natural. And for people, I don't think actually people have been able to see it on the video because yeah. it was probably focused on you at the time. Yeah. But I, I, you know, when you're saying your mum used to like get a bit annoyed, like I get my expression said, yeah, that's understandable <laughs> because when kids ask you loads of questions yeah. and you're trying to do things, it can be a bit annoying. Yeah. But it sounds like your dad or your father really um, just encouraged that in you and invited you to be curious and and keep that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm, I take my hat off to him even now. He'd be like, you know, when I've asked him questions over the years about times when I've been through some pretty challenging moments and traumatic moments in life, you know, when I've turned to him and said, Dad, I don't know what to do. And he, said, he, he would turn it around on me just, you know, what, what you, you know you've got it in you you know ask those mm-hmm. questions what would you be asking a client what would you be asking me and so he would flip that around so actually unbeknownst to him that's not he coaching is not his profession but he did it naturally yeah where do you think he he got it from was it natural and did he practice it in his work what was his no work? he was a chartered accountant for a pharmaceutical okay. company um so no <laughs> quite the contrary he wasn't trained as a coach at all but I think he was uh, he was held uh, as a trusted advisor he was um uh, uh, people would re- re- refer to him as counsel for many things you know he was a pillar of the community pillar of society very well uh, trusted you know and that was within the, in the family as well he was the youngest of four um mm. and he was the most educated and so cousins and aunts and uncles they all you know w- went running to him you know for, for counsel so that's probably why he was naturally like that without even realizing that he was like that 
Yeah, but it's so nice to have both the sense of curiosity and the encouragement of that and the sense like you've got it in you. You know, and in some ways, if we were to say to a new coach, yeah. just just believe that the person has got it in them and yeah. ask and be curious, like that would be a great starter for somebody who, yeah. who was coaching. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, so when did you, that was like, that was that was in you since the start. And it's really beautiful to hear. Like I've got a big smile on my face because <laughs> it, it just sounds so, so nice really. And to hear that that bit about your, your father as well. Yeah. When did you first hear about the coaching as we are now talking about it like the as the, the concept or the yeah. I don't know the profession like this whole we slightly odd thing that we do well I was actually uh, I put myself on a training course um, and that training course I met somebody who talked to they said you'd be really good as a counselor as a psychotherapist and I said oh why they said because you've just got such a wonderful way of putting people at ease and be you know it's easy to talk to you and and it's easy to trust you I thought but I don't know anything about counseling and then they recommended me to they said go and have a conversation with this person um so I had a conversation and they were running a, a relate trained counseling course at the time I was actually in the business profession uh, running a career development career career uh, representation company um helping people you know get promoted or find new work find new jobs um, for the executive sort of leadership level and upwards um and so this was this was kind of different but it actually wasn't different it was just completely I had little did I realize that it was going to complement my my profession so I embarked on a relate trained counseling course and it was fascinating absolutely fascinating and I only did it because people kept saying you'd be great you'd be great at this so I thought well let's see what it's about um and I love learning um absolutely love I'm a bit of a learning junkie <laughs> um and the tutor I, I passed it was a, a diploma and I passed level uh at, we went to one two three and four so I got up to level four within that time um so I was I was training part-time as well as working um running my show and uh, the tutor said you would be brilliant at coaching and oh. that's the first time I heard and I said well what, what is it and he said you just do it naturally he said I've seen the way you are with the group the rest of the group he said the way you held the space um in the group sessions and he said you, you see, he, he said you just do it naturally he said you should look into it and that's how I first got, got into it and how I first heard of it mm. many, many, many moons ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like uh, roughly when is this and, and how far into your career are you at, at this point? So this would have been in the early 90s. Yeah, so early, like uh, for, for coaching in the UK at least, as, as yeah, I understand yeah, it. Absolutely. So it was been 93 90, yeah, 93, 94. And that was when I first came across it. And then, again, I was still quite entrenched in my work, in my business, but did more and more of it. Just didn't realise how much I was weaving, you know, coaching into the way in which I was working. And it it also complemented the business and the results that I was getting. And then at the same time, I kept... I kept I, I actually then kept in touch with that tutor. The tutor became my mentor um, for a, a, probably about four years um, as he was 
I then got into TA, transactional analysis. Um, so he, he was great of saying, you should try this, you should try that, that'd be good, that'd be good. And and books as well, he'd recommend, you know, all sorts of things. So he would recommend things that would complement, he thought would complement, you know, what I was doing and the way in which I worked. And it, and it did. Thank you, Will. What's his, what's, yeah, I was going to say, what's his name? Will Roberts. Will Roberts. Yeah, it sounds like Will really, yeah, both at first. Yeah. And isn't it interesting that, that someone said you should try counselling and it just like pinged that little thing that yeah. then must have, it must have touched something because it took, you know, you went far enough down that road to do the yeah. late course. And then again, Will kind of pinged the, yeah. the coaching and then kept pointing you at Absolutely. things. Absolutely, yeah. What a skill that is that that he must have because it sounds like he kept getting it right and it yeah, was really useful. Absolutely, and the but the other thing was that was really really interesting uh, on looking back now that you've asked me this question is that every course I did, uh, for example, when I went to Nottingham and, and did the TA, the Kegworth and did the TA course, um, the tutors there said you'd be really good at coaching. You'd be, have you tried this? Have you tried that? You know, um, and, and you're natural at it. So. I kept getting these messages from, from different places. And at the time that wasn't really my profession. My profession was the career management consultancy and the coaching was just something that complemented the way in which I worked because it was getting fantastic results. So that's why I thought, well, it's, it's working very well in the way in which I'm working. Yeah. And you were probably like pioneering that in some ways, because I think now if you were probably running a career management company, Mm people would be knowingly and explicitly doing that because they would know that using the coaching skills, especially in an early part of that process to really understand the person and to really support them to make both make the decisions and, and move in the right direction is a really powerful technology to do that. But I'm not surprised that it kind of fitted in naturally and, and yeah, got you good business results too. It did because you see the coach, the coaching training and the counseling training that I was receiving, we were also able to add new services to the business. So we were offering onboarding and inboarding uh, provisions the first 90 days and all of that and that was well way back in you know the late 90s and so and when it when you as it as it grew in popularity you think all right okay everybody else is doing it now (laughs) yeah and so what training did you do back then because there wouldn't some of the training uh places that people know these days wouldn't have been in operation in the mid nineties. So you know, how did you, where, what coaching training was around and what was it that, that, that you did? I did a combination of things. I also embarked on um, becoming a practitioner for uh, doing, interpreting the psychometric reports, the level A, level B, because I was coming across that in the career management with clients. Um, and so this is something that I thought, okay, we, we need to add this uh, as a service as well uh, and a tool. So I embarked on that and I first came across somebody um, who did a talk. I went to a talk through through business, through work, um, and that was way back when Savile and Holsworth were around, I say quite a while ago, and because I know that they split up and created new tools. So, but that's the first thing that I came across a psychometric assessment tool. Um, and up until that moment, I was against psychometric testing uh, or assessments, not testing, sorry, assessments, um, because I, I used to think, well, I am not a number and you're not going to put me in a box. So for me, I, I, I kind of used to, I was quite, and probably more anti than I realised because I didn't, 
I didn't want to be put in a box and I didn't want to put labels on people and put them in boxes. So this is why my ignorance, sorry, way back then, it was a long time ago, <laughs> um, kind of made me think, no, it's not something I want to do. And then... But I think, uh, just to say, I, I think that you're not alone in that. I think it's like a natural, in some ways, a quite a na- at least in our culture yeah. still now, yeah. um, it's quite a natural reaction to those yeah. those kinds of things. It's like, how is, how is I mean, it's, how is like a 40-minute yeah. test going to get a handle on me as a complex <laughs> human is a fairly yeah. reasonable thing and like not wanting to put people yeah. into boxes. and yeah. And so what's, but it sounds like what you're saying, I imagine, it sounds like the end of the story is, and now you believe in them or use them or, or, or have done in, in, and seen value in them. So yeah. what, what shifted and, and when do you think they are really useful for people? So I've done, I've, I mean, at the time I, I embarked on them because it was, a, it was a requirement with some of the clients, some of the big organisations that I was working with. So I thought, okay, great. Well, you know, we need to add this. Let's go and find some more about it. Um, and I kind of thought there's more to this. So I did the more research I did, the more I thought, well, you know, I want to see how they do it and how that tool works. And so I wanted a combination of tools. I didn't want to be wedded to just one. Um, and the more I researched it, and the, the you know, when you when you go through level one, level two qualification, um, AMB, you actually learn about all the different modalities and all the different. Uh, you know tools that exist and where they came from and all that so and that was fascinating I thought oh okay this is quite interesting because a lot of that weaves into some of the coaching training that I've had as well Um, so I'm not wedded to any particular tool as such but there is if you use them sensibly to guide and inform um, they can be quite useful but people are different. We're changing all the time. And you have to bear that in mind. You know, what? where were they when they're answering the questionnaire? What mindset were they in when they're answering the questionnaire? Where was their energy levels? What was their motivation? What was their, their, their where were they in their lives? Because when we go through um, different life experiences, I think that also, you know, will have an impact on where the needle goes in in you know, some of these um, assessments. Um, and you've got the trait-based ones and behavioural ones. It's the behavioural ones that I'm more interested in than the trait-based ones. Um, but again, you know, I still haven't shaken off the, I am not a number and therefore you're not going to put me in a box. I still feel like that and I still respect that. And I think that lends itself really well for when you're working with, you know, other other people because it, it's this unconditional positive regard that you have for, for everyone in every interaction, um, whether it's a coaching or mentoring interaction or just, you know, a, a casual interaction. So, mm. yeah. And it's, for me, it's always, you know, they are like, if they can show, help people see things about themselves or the way they interact with the world that they hadn't seen before, yeah. then that's really amazing. And if, yeah if they just make people feel like they're being put in, I mean, that's quite an interesting topic for a coaching conversation. Like <laughs> why are you so stressed out about this test? Yeah. But yeah. they often can do that. And and usually when I've done different ones with people or supported yeah. people to look at different ones, yeah. it's like the moments that feel valuable yeah. are like, oh, yeah, this sentence here, the rest of it can, can get lost, but this sentence here, that gets me. Yes. And then suddenly yes. they've got that thing which they didn't have before and, and it can be really valuable. Absolutely. And that's exactly what I, you know, that how it should be used really, you know, because yeah. it's how you interpret it, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's like, it's so interesting, Carla, just to hear, I think, 
you know, anyone who's listening to this has just heard the curio- your curiosity still there, right? Because that's, or still there at this stage in the journey. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, it's kept, got a bit interested in the psychometrics. And yeah. then I kind of kept getting interested. It's like, what are they saying? What are they saying? Yeah. Really, really useful. Yeah. Uh, like to pick up your story, what then, so it's first of all, coaching came along and then yeah. the psychometrics came along and this learning you were doing was alongside and complementary. Yeah. The, the business you'd been working in or running before yeah and it then it kind of started to, it sounds like like uh uh like put its roots into the new things you were creating like the onboarding and that kind of thing yes uh, and then what happened as you gradually because as far as I understand it you now it's it's you know there's a whole variety of things you do but it's yeah. it's not that company anymore it's it's no. it's new work and different work so ha- yeah. how did that transition happen and what were the kind of key moments in that the key probably well after that I embarked on NLP, mm-hmm. fell in love with NLP, um, and just went through because it's quite immersive and I did it in an, quite an immersive way, um, and to the point that um, I did master practitioner as well for business. It, I, it was NLP for leadership, NLP for business. So again, it, I initially embarked on that qualification, that training to support either my work. But it kind of took me in this other direction. Um, and and yeah. just just for people who don't know NLP well, or or like have got this like awareness of it, yeah. like what do you what do you love most about that? What about it kept drawing your curiosity on so that you got all the way to master practitioner? Um, uh, well, NLP neuro linguistic programming. Um, it was understanding how people think. It was you know it was, it was a very useful way to support my. You know, curiosity it helped me to understand you know why being um curious is useful when you know when you use it in the context of you know understanding people so it kind of opened that up more um i think oh okay that's interesting oh that's it but also it made me a lot more self-aware of how i am and how am i showing up um and so and and that was really really interesting and then i was um given the opportunity to embark on a master's program, a master's qualification at Ashridge Business School for um, executive coaching, um, mentoring, consulting. Um, And I just thought, wow, you know. How did that come about? How did that, you said you were given the opportunity? I was given the opportunity. um, Well, somebody recommended me to them and they recommended them to me and I thought oh I don't know not not is Ashridge you know of all places I've got I'm not sure I'm good enough um and then I had a I had a meeting with them conversation interview and they said you're exactly the type of person we want on this program um you know it, it, this is when they first kicked I was on the, one of their first cohorts of when they re, in, in, released the executive um masters there and it was a five year masters that I chose to do in two years and I met some fantastic industry giants absolutely amazing and it was like doing masters on steroids absolutely it was and I I, if anybody's serious about coaching I definitely recommend um that one um not necessarily recommend doing two years I mean I had to because I, I I had a young family then and I didn't I, I thought if I don't do it now within that condensed time it's just not going to happen because family grow up grow up and they take over so yeah 
it was it was an interesting time because um, my husband then uh, was also um, he went through a double pneumothorax, so I was looking after him, running a business, um, bringing up my two two younger children, my two boys, and so it was really an intense time. Looking back now, I have no clue how I held it all together. <laughs> But I did. Um, and that was the life changer for me. Um, I learned so much during that. It kind of consolidated my learning. It consolidated, consolidated how to uh, uh, apply it to my work, how to apply it professionally and properly. Um, and you learn so much about yourself. You know, I came out a, a, quite a different person. Um, so that was probably going to that been the most significant life-changing moment for me as well as having children of course <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and like there's just to kind of capture that because you know I actually weirdly I don't know that much about Ashridge except I know um a woman called Eve Poole quite well and she used to be she used to work at Ashridge and yeah. um, and so I know because I know her that was how I first came across it I think yeah. it was like wow yeah. she was an amazing leadership yeah. um teacher trainer coach all those kind of yeah. things and it's like wow she works there that must be an amazing place yeah. right yeah. full of high quality people and, yeah. and but but for you particularly in this experience there were kind of two things you mentioned there that, that sounded like they might have been really important parts of that yeah. meeting industry giants and 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 getting to connect with those kinds of people yeah. but also coming out with the real knowledge of how to apply your work and how to apply it professionally so what were the things that came out of that program what were the parts of it or the things you took away from it that, that have made the most difference? Wow. Um, it, well, it keeps, it's, it's kind of like the gift that keeps on giving, you know, you, every day, you know, you're, it's, it was, I guess, um, understanding that there's just so much more to learn. And that's the biggest thing that came out of it with me. So I thought, well, I've got this master's, I've learned so much, but I've also, what I see it, that it's, it opens up your world and you just think, oh my God, there's just a sea of things to learn out there. There's just so much. And you just feel like, you know, I thought I'd come out feeling, so if, if it's say you've got a pie and you do this uh, this qualification and you come out with a master's and think, great, most of my pie is going to be, you know, f- filled in. But no, you come out feeling, well, I did that, oh my God, I only know like literally a fraction of what there is to, to, to know and to learn and to, you know, develop. So that it was quite humbling in, in many respects. Um, so you, you don't come out, well, I didn't come out feeling like, well, I'm the expert now, I've got a master's. No, quite the opposite. You come out feeling, right, okay, what's next? There's just so much that I need to pay attention to. Have I got this right? Have I got that right? How how am I here? How am I being of service? You know, have I understood? You become more reflective. So, you know, I guess that was the biggest thing for me, learning how to become more reflective. Oh, and the other thing was, because you have to pass every single module in order to be allowed to continue doing the course to get to the end of it um and there was just there's quite a bit and the, the bit that I really had a had to battle with which I didn't realize which it was giving myself permission to ask you know deep and really deep dive challenging questions and and not to be afraid of going into like a deeper inquiry 
Um, you know, I, it wasn't about being nice. It's okay to challenge, and it's all okay. You know, to to have that deeper under the under the skin, get under the bonnet uh, inquiry. Um, and so that was a bit of a wow, you know, uh, moment for me. Yeah, learning how to do that. Um, yeah, wow! It sounds like it was a yeah amazing learning opportunity, especially for someone like you with all that curiosity. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that sense of just learning all the stuff that there is still to learn about oh, yeah. must have been both. Like, it sounds like it was, I imagine for you, it was both, I mean, the way you said it was kind of like, wow, the Baha'i is actually massive, what, uh, kind of overwhelming, but also exciting because it's like, oh, wow, there's all these yeah. Yeah. directions I can I can take the learning now. Um, Carla, I'm curious. So then uh, this, uh, was it after that then that, that your your work started to become more like how it looks now or was this always been a gradual process over many years what happened after you'd had that I think you described it as a life changer with Ashridge. well yeah after Ashridge because that gave me um lots to think about in terms of you know you know to stand up to certain things including things that were um not going very well back at home um, and because I had Professor Bill Critchley, Charlotte Sills, Eric Tahan, these are the people that we were in the room with learning and, and with and going through all the things that we learned. And so this is what I mean by, you know, industry giants um, and and having sort of having direct exposure to, to all these people. Uh, on the one hand, it was humbling, but on the other hand, it was quite scary about how, how can I, you know, stand up to some of the things that I need to, I guess, challenge in my own life? Um, so, yeah, at the time, uh, having finished the, the Masters, what I hadn't realised was just how much my ex-husband, for example, wasn't keen on, on me doing it or completing it. I wasn't aware of that. Um, and I thought... I just need to finish it. I just need to complete it. And and actually my friends and my family were fantastic. They said, no, you need to complete it. You know, you, you, you wanted to do this. You're really, really good at this. You've just got to complete it. And so I, I did complete it and it, it, yeah, as I say, it did help, but at the same time, you know, there was, there was some very challenging traumatic things going on at home, um, which at the time was, was, was horrible you know I wouldn't wish it upon anyone but when you come out of it what I realized is that actually you know that adversity has added further strength and insight because what I found even while I was going through it that in my coaching I could actually relate to other people's comedies and tragedies I could really kind of go ah Okay, I, I I can appreciate how that person might be feeling or thinking. So it takes your your um, listening, your appreciative inquiry into that deeper um, place where you know I, I wasn't sure how to get to, but I think life took me there to to enable me. It became an, an enabler for me to get there. Um, I mean, I, I don't know about you, Rob, Robbie. How how would, how have you found? You know, you know, well, there's moments where, you know, they're, they're so challenging with the client, but you know that actually they just want to be heard. You know, they don't want a solution necessarily. They just want to be heard and for, for their, 
for their for their experience no matter how uncomfortable it might be to be acknowledged yeah yeah and uh, is this right it sounds like what you might be saying is that that experience mm. hard as it was around that time particularly helped you yeah enabled you or to grow or to be different so that you could yeah. really be with people yeah. in the times when that's what they needed exactly exactly absolutely and it was actually so soon after I finished the the master's degree that's when uh, you know the coaching kind of really sort of took off um and because at the same time a couple of years later you know my that's when we were abandoned you know I I that's when I became a lone parent so I've been a lone parent for over over 10 years now um and it, it, it just totally went into, I had had to start all over again, basically. And I just dedicated most of the work and the business into more of a coaching, mentoring, consulting um, work. So it kind of evolved, you know, it wasn't purposefully done. It wasn't a stop that and start that. It just sort of transitioned organically and naturally. Yeah. And, you know, I just think this is such a, I love the way you told that story and I love the way you're really bringing these difficult things mm. into the story and because, you know, how they, they just feel a part of you just as much as, you know, in, in the same, it feels the same as the story about your dad. It's just a, you know, a part of life that brought you here to this moment. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm curious, like the last decade you said of being a lone parent. Yeah. How has, how has the kind of work you do supported that and where has it been difficult? Uh, yeah wow that's a very good question the it was it was challenging to begin with um my work actually helped me my I absolutely love what I do uh, and I'm, I'm so so blessed and so grateful that I found a vocation that makes my heart sing uh, it must be like to be one of these like a-list celebrities right <laughs> not that I'm a celebrity not yet um <laughs> I think I think better I think a lot of a-list celebrities their hearts don't sing a lot that's why they you know <laughs> take all kinds of drugs and that kind of thing true true no I I, I, say, I, I absolutely love what I do and I'm, I do feel blessed every single day that I've managed to find something that um, enables me to be of service and and you know find that rewarding um and do you know, interestingly, Robbie, I so many people over the years have said, I want to do what you do. And I said, but why? You're good at doing what you do. They said, because you really love what you do. And I want to do what, that because I want to love what I do. So that's that's quite interesting that how it comes across to people. Um, because I don't go around saying, oh, yeah, this is great. This is great. It just I guess it's the way you, you apply yourself. Um but the the first few the first five years were really challenging. You know, we were le- left in a, a ridiculously a mountain of debt, and you know, we were completely alone. Um, and bringing up the, the boys, um, you know, with a lot of support from my my parents and my brother, they were fantastic. Um, but I thought, no, we, we it was like like warrior fighting spirit came out that we can do this we're a team we can do this um I think the most challenging thing has been trying to be both mum and dad you know mm-hmm. have it striking that balance you know wearing both hats um and also giving them the kind of balanced interdependency um that 
you know that will serve them well um and I think I've done all right fingers crossed you know that they're all doing really really well my youngest is 17 and a half so um you know that I I get told the feedback I get from a lot of people is that you you know you've done incredible that's really well you don't feel like that all the time because how many times you know do you feel you know there's a, there isn't a single week that goes by where there isn't a moment where you feel like oh I'm a rubbish parent <laughs> or but you know you do the best you can with what you have right um so yeah it's it's been a, an interesting journey but I'm very grateful that you know I I, I found what I do you know and, and I'm able to apply it because that that has helped in so many different ways there's been moments where you know my friends have said if you were coaching a client what what would you tell them so yeah so, that's good yeah yeah so it gives you perspective you know um but the the funny thing is your your friends and family end up you know sort of coaching you when you're going through those moments <laughs> yeah it's kind of, like you 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 look quite happy about the fact that um your your your, your friends and family say if you were coaching someone what would what would you say to them yeah. like i get annoyed when people do that yeah i know yeah i yeah i know i should know better than this all right all right um thanks, thanks emma um but it's true but yeah you do you think i just want to just talk about it and said yeah, yeah. what and, would you like you know we're humans and so it's like I think it's really easy to forget that and important that (laughs) like uh, one of my clients was just saying the other day to me you know that's one of the things she's really liked is just getting the sense that ah yeah it's just he's just this person yeah. right and that's it well, oh, yeah. okay I've got permission now to be a person who sometimes yeah. like you say like I mean kudos to the people that that maybe get through a week yeah. even without children and say god I wish I hadn't been like that then yeah uh, the, those people are not me yeah. like I always have those moments yeah. and I think you know what I, I guess what I hear in your story though is just that yeah kind of at least in this moment, just a beautiful kind of uh, respect for the work, self-respect for the work that you've done. Like I hear that from you. It's like, okay, yeah, we, we you know, I love the the warrior and the, the you know, there's a, there is something really beautiful about the way you're saying, you know, we just, there's moments in the parenting when I wish I'd, you know, done it slightly differently, but yeah. you're saying yeah. that with a smile and, yeah. a, and, and a sense of calm and, and that's really nice to see. Oh, thank you, Robbie. No, it's it's you know I'm not perfect. I would love to be perfect, whatever that is, but I I'm not. And and that's the other thing I learned when I did the masters at um, at Ashridge that I didn't realise how much of a be perfect I had been, Mm. and how to turn the dial down, and and so that there's a better balance. Um, So that to be perfect and please others can be quite a challenge, you know. And are there ways, like, I don't know if this is easy, but because um, it's a complex thing, but are there ways that you've learned to deal with, just for some people, the way that the perfection thing shows up is lots and lots of thoughts about um, <laughs> from the, you know, whatever we call it, the inner critic, or the like, I'm not, it's not enough, or whatever that thing is. Yeah. Have you found ways that have helped you to, to, particular things that have helped you to kind of work with that um either particularly maybe with your client like if you're I don't know if you if you when if or when you get it with clients or when you're delivering things or yeah. it might also be just in life generally what's been really helpful for you that now that has actually been really helpful you know because uh, having to learn to you know 
manage that at times, particularly when you're under stress and when, you know, when the things dominate, you know, then being aware of that thing, oh, hold on a minute. Um, that's been really, really helpful because it informs, you know, what the, what might be going on for the client, you know, or when things are, are not serving um, a particular client very well. You know, it's helping the client to get out of their own way. You know, how many times do we actually get in our own way? And and we we, we expect, you know, the our environmental people or, or things around us, you know, to kind of you know, take care of it for us. But unfortunately, that doesn't happen. It's our responsibility to take care of it. And that's hard because sometimes we just want somebody to come along and take care of it. You know? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. Um, Carla, it's like, it's lovely that you've got this sense and that I love that, that people just get that from you, that you love your work. Yeah. Just could you... Like, what does your work look like now? I mean, I know it's uh, maybe like let let COVID out yeah. for, for yeah. now, like because yeah. I'm sure it looks like you said it's similar but different. Yeah. But how pre-COVID or when things return to normal, yeah. what's the work? What parts? How does your work look? Is it lots of one-on-one work and lots of organizational, like all that kind of thing? And also, yeah, which are the bits that you love uh, as part of that too? Well, yeah, it's interesting how. Where, where the last couple of years have taken me um, because in 2015 um, I did a summer school in Cambridge at Cambridge University and it was amazing we did, we, I did a three uh, were a three week diploma that you know I, I know I'm crazy I like to do these intensive things because it's the only time I can actually take the time out of work and and family to do these things um, and it was brilliant really enjoyed it it was an advanced um, design course for organization consulting um and 48 hours after i came back i became quite seriously ill and was admitted to hospital and had to have emergency surgery thankfully you know they removed um something that was benign um, but they said it's going to take you a couple of years 18 months 18 to 24 months to recover and I was like, "You are kidding me! I'm a lone parent. I've got to, I've got to d- deliver a workshop in ten weeks' time in London, which I have really, you know, fought for and and won. So I'm not giving that up for anyone." Um, and they said, "Well, you're fairly fit and healthy. You might be able to do it in a year." And I thought, "I'm not, I'm not buying that." So I thought, "Do you know what I'm going to do is to pay attention to um, my energy." Um, because I think perhaps I'd lost sight of being aware of how I am with myself, you know, taking care of me, basically, for want of a better way of putting it. So my my family, my brother was saying, does that mean you're going to sleep more? Because I had an appalling relationship with sleep. There's just so much to do. I, I love being busy, not for the sake of being busy, but, you know, there's just always so much to do. Again, being a lone parent and running a business, there aren't enough hours in the day. So... Uh, you know, I thought, well, if Margaret Thatcher can get away with, you know, four or five hours sleep, then I can do it too. So um, yeah, I didn't realise, you know, that that's where, what it was always like. So I said to them, um, I'm just going to, you know, understand how my energy works. And my brother said, does that mean you're going to sleep more? I said, no, it's not about sleeping. It's about understanding, you know, how can I boost my immune system and take care of how I apply myself 
um, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to re- recover. I actually did recover within seven weeks and and did deliver that assignment in London um, at 10 weeks later. My client knew all about it and she said, are you sure? I said, yeah, yeah, I'll be fine. Um, and that client is still with me. So I must have done a relatively good job thing. Thankfully. <laughs> um, but it, it, was, it was brilliant. I'm so, so glad of it. But the what I learned was was fascinating uh, about uh, the balance. I It helped me to completely reconfigure my relationship with sleep uh, and and everything else music and language and environment and daylight and just the list goes on and on um, and I was weaving it into my work I, I didn't really realize that I'd always attended to that in in my profession so it, I'd, often I'd, I'd inquire about well you know what is it that takes up most of your time and energy what is it that's actually draining it? So I used to ask those kind of inquiry questions in my coaching anyway. So to take it to another level because of the research I did was, was you know, attracting a bit of attention. And people were saying, oh, can you come and do a masterclass on this? Can you come and do a workshop? So I was doing that. And then, then I was asked the question, oh, have you got a book on it? Have you got, is there anything that you can share? Have you got um, a handout or something? And I said, well, I'm still still researching it. And the more I got nagged and asked about it, the more I thought, okay, maybe I'll I'll start compiling all my research and and put in it put it into a book. And I have a very very good friend, uh, a professor, who you know, he's he's, he's comes from a scientific background. Um, so have, we're having conversations with him as well. And um, he he, I said, people are saying this, and he said, you should definitely do it definitely write the book and I said okay if I do it will you will you help me will you will you read what I've written because I don't want it to be woo-woo you know I want it to mm-hmm. I want it to be very real and and um apply to everybody he said I absolutely he said I wouldn't have anything to do with it if it was woo-woo I said, all right okay fair enough so he became my um proofreader um and and supported me through putting it together in that respect so yeah that works um you know and helped me to keep it real and he said you've actually really got something here this is something that will help so many people um and then I kind of just 98 iterations later I still didn't want to put it out there and it was my youngest son who said mom this stuff really works you have got to get it out there and so I pressed the publish button and then I hid for a couple of months because I I felt so exposed because everything there was just so you know personal and and real and and I did have permission from the from the um, client um, case studies that I used as well so that was all good and a lot of support from people um, particularly those people who had read the manuscript. Everybody that had participated in the book had read the manuscript as well and said, yep, this is good to go. Um, but I was still petrified that I thought, oh, if this is not well received, I've done it now. You can't take it back once it's out there in the big wide world. It's out there. Yeah. Um, so I felt very, very exposed. Um, and then the, the reviews started to come through and they're all five star reviews. And I thought, oh, I can breathe now. And so I, I've actually over the last sort of three or four years i've i've been given work 
through it, um, speaking gigs from it. I've spoken at company conferences, at universities, to MBA students and at, at colleges for up to upper and lower sixth form. Um, so it's quite interesting where this is actually taken me. So not only do I weave it into my work, um, the, the one-to-one sessions, but also in team you know, people said, can you come and coach the team? Because I want this team to actually understand, you know, how their um, energy is an asset not in the organisation and in their teams and with their subordinates. So it, it's kind of snowballed, really, in a, in a way that I never expected and n- never thought it would. So, yeah, re- yeah. really, really quite interesting. So many things I want to ask. Um Carla, like the the thing that fascinates me probably uh, about human psychology in there is this is this moment of pressing the button, yeah, and then what followed. And I'm, so it sounds like is this right? It was like it was the kind of sometimes it is the nudge from the unexpected person that makes does the same with me. Albeit I haven't published a book, but I want to ask about that in a sec. Yeah, um, it's like the nudge from the right person, and you're like, oh yeah, yeah. this is what I'm like. Anyway, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah they're right I have to do this now don't I yeah absolutely was it that like how did you get to the point of pressing the button and then how did you manage and what are your reflections on this real vulnerability of it being out in the world and this this big step that you took oh wow yeah absolutely I mean if the wolf I had quite a few different nudges well first nudges when I when I was ill (laughs) so that was the catalyst that actually then you know metamorphosizing this in this work and this research and the book and the more I researched the, the stuff around it uh, was, you know, the, the more I uncovered, I thought, oh, my gosh. And then I started, uh, the research also included speaking with people. And I learned so much about the fact that actually, you know, I love daylight, for example. I, I, I love, I don't really mind what the weather's doing so long as it's bright and, and there's daylight. So I don't, I, I'm not happy being in a room where there's no daylight, uh, you know, for more than a, a, a few hours. So I will always pick working in a room which actually has natural light uh, wherever possible, because that will get the best out of me. Um, And but I learned so much that there are people there that night owls who are more energized, you know, uh, in the dark. And and then you've got the early birds who are at their best, you know, at at the crack of dawn. And I'm diurnal. So that's the daytime person. So all these things um, and even what's how it's different. So how you power down, for example, it's not just about sleeping and meditating. There are so many different ways of powering down. Some people iron. I hate ironing. Sorry. <laughs> Don't like it. It's okay. You could admit that to, to, to me and anyone who's listening. I, I think we'll still we'll still be interested in what you've got to say. Many of us might be able to identify with that. that exactly. But there are some people that absolutely love it. They find it really therapeutic. Mm. They'll put a movie on or, or podcast or music or whatever, and away they go. Um, and, and other people find cooking a form of meditation. Um, I love walking. I absolutely love walking. Um, and to a point that I don't really care what the weather is, so long as you know you just dress for the occasion but I I love I love going for walks out there you know in in the fresh air amongst the trees the birds and all of that and during these pandemic times what I have uncovered and discovered is the most beautiful walks just are you know around me I've walked so much more this year than I've ever done before 
you know, from from where I live and ex- explored places that I would never have known about because you don't see these places when you're in a car. Um, so that's been a, a huge, you know, tick in the box for me and hearing the birds sing and just appreciating, you know, the world around you um, and just how colourful it is, you know, the blueness of the sky and the, the, the different shades of green in the, in the trees and the wildlife. Um, yeah, so that that's just been absolutely amazing yeah. yeah it sounds like you it's like one of the things is which it it's really comes out from the story is in those seven weeks and then since then you really understand what you need yeah and that's just a thing that yeah you know i can imagine why there are people saying can you come talk to my team about this because yeah. we can sometimes see it with people perhaps even with others better than us when people just don't why aren't they managing their energy well, in a way that's healthier for them? And sometimes it's just they don't understand. And so I can really imagine, absolutely. again, people yeah. seeing you, hearing this some of the story, and then, of course, they were going to say, come and speak to my team or yeah. come and speak to these six formers. Well, it does, uh, it does make such a difference, Robbie. Your, your energy speaks louder than your words. It affects, you know, uh, the way we make decisions, the way we think, the way we respond, the way we love, the way we re- relate, even the way we, we cry, so it affects whether we're, whether you're rejoicing or whether you're doing something else. You know, the the, the energy uh, is is your is is it an asset or a liability? You know, where where is that? You know, for people, um, and it's it doesn't matter where you're from. It's a universal language, and it doesn't matter how old you are, what race or religion you are, what gender. It affects us all. Yeah. No, I completely agree. And I had a nice insight last year. Um, uh, we were talking just off air, like one of the one of the ways that I came across um, coaching was through uh, an interview series called Waking Up the Workplace. Yeah. And I went back to an interview on that thing, yeah. like last year, because I was delivering a workshop, a well-being workshop. Mm-hmm. And I one of the I wanted to listen to an interview with a guy called Tony Schwartz, whose whose company is called The Energy Project. And it, and I just I hadn't like realized until I went back to this interview how influential that had been on me and how much since then I had worked to protect, charge, look at my energy and just what a difference it had made. Yeah. And it was only going back to that mm-hmm. that I was able to really see ah wow I I really took this seriously and yeah. did this stuff. Yeah. Not necessarily all at once but gradually yeah. and yeah. just realizing what a difference that is so I you know I I fully fully agree really yeah. and yeah we we see it from people and that's i'm sure that's part of what people are, have always been saying to you yeah. about loving your work is yeah. there's an energy that comes off you that that yeah. shows that yeah. and we know that we know we know all those stories about first impressions and yeah you know, as people walk into a room presence is energy yeah. you know that people's communication comes from that energy all those things absolutely yeah, no, absolutely that's... and the other thing will be i found is a bit like you know when you um say you 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 first buy a car particular car and then when you go outside you all, all of a sudden notice all the other you know cars similar to yours <laughs> yeah. you know or, or you you have a you know particular jacket and all of a sudden you see other people wearing that that thing so what i've noticed particularly more recently is how much energy is actually mentioned um in all sorts of different places and in in lots of books and i you know one of the books i read last christmas um which was actually given to me as a gift um the biology of belief absolutely amazing and i was just i was reading it with a smile on my face because i thought that's exactly it that's exactly what i'm trying to talk about mm-hmm. um and it was fantastic that this medical profession no um this guy who's had uh, was saying things 
in that book and trying to do the myth-busting elements that I was referring to as well, that, you know, you you can, um, by being more aware of yourself, you can actually heal yourself, um, but also, you know, how, how you, so how you show up is is impacted by where your energy is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. um, Carla, I want to ask a really selfish question now, which is just for me. It might be useful for other people. So I was really curious. Um, I've So I've been working on people who know my work. Well, no, will probably know that I've been working on two different books over the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, and I'm now getting to the stage for various reasons where I'm exploring the world of publishing in all its different yeah things and it's fascinating and I could do a whole we could do a whole like 90 minute conversation (laughs) about what I've learned about that like absolutely fascinating you'll have to join my masterclass I'm designing a masterclass for January about how to write a book (laughs) nice cool well I'd love to as a preview for that can you tell me like (laughs) how you published your book what your experience of that was and what you learned from it sure yeah um that was very interesting that journey. So, so I had a couple of interviews, um, for four or five different publishing companies I spoke with, um, two of which wanted to take the work on. Um, and I thought, oh, great. So you get, you get, you know, all excited about this and you have a conversation. And I signed up with one because they said, well, there's lots of different options. We can either publish it or we could do a hybrid where, you know, we co- you know, we publish it, but you know, your, your self-publishing as well, um, or you could do it solo. Um, but we recommend doing it the hybrid way because um, it can be quite expensive to, to publish a book. So I thought, oh, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll look into that. Also, I'm very lucky. I've got um, quite a few friends that um, are published authors as well. So I asked them, so how would you, what would you recommend? And so a couple of them recommended the two people that I then ended up shortlisting. Um but they also said caution, cautionary wrote, you should consider doing this yourself. Both of them said you should consider doing this yourself. Um, and, and not not the publishers, the friends. Um, and I said, oh, okay, why? They said, well, you you have a lot more freedom. Um, but if you want it just done for you, then you know, go go through the, the, the publishing company. So I thought, oh, I've never done this before. I don't know what I'm doing. I'll let them do it. So I did, but what what I found out is that actually you have to do everything yourself anyway. So you know you still have to market it yourself. You still, but the only thing you don't have is the rights over you know where it goes. So the publisher, not the editor, not the writer, but the publisher has overall rights. Did you find that too? So like basically what happened for me yeah. recently was that I had pretty much only sent these two books to one publisher because I, yeah. I I'd just done a kind of, you know, what would you call it? Like not 80, 20, but like yeah. one 99%, 1% 99% analysis yeah. um, on, on the publishing world and thought, yeah. actually this publisher, if they want to do it, that's perfect yeah. for me yeah. until I got their contract essentially yes. and realized what it actually, so they actually did make me an offer, which was amazing. And I had this 48 hours where yeah. I felt like a different person. Yes. And yeah. then I gradually absorbed what it actually meant. Yes. And I spoke and I had a, I had a bunch of really quick conversations with yeah. people with different experiences. Again, a bit like your friends who yeah. said different things, yeah. but it, yeah, it's a serious, especially like, so I think there's a really interesting, so I, a couple of things that really helped me is my brother-in-law last Christmas or last, last Christmas, I think gave me a great self-publishing book. So I was really lucky that I'd already read that. Yes. Written by this person who was a real enthusiast for self-publishing. Yeah. And I'd never really heard those arguments yeah. 
but as well as this put this this writer had his guy called yeah. i'll put it in the show notes i'll put links to everything yeah in the, yeah in under the episode that we've talked about yeah. but um, i think he's called david gorn oh, yeah, i'll, I'll yeah. dig out the book yeah. and I, I read his yeah. book anyway and yeah. irish guy and he um anyway so i just really so i'd been empowered by that basically yeah already so i kind of knew that was an option mm-hmm. and one of the places i got to was kind of exactly like you've just said it's like it's you know, it's, it's actually, if you're not a kind of yeah. entrepreneur yeah. of some kind, <laughs> yeah. it would be terrifying to publish a book. Yes. Yeah. If you are, yeah. and you have other sources of income, which the book will help with and all this kind of thing, yeah. it's really not obvious what the best thing to do is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah. keeping the control and the freedom yes. is, for me, given that freedom is like a high, high value of mine, is... Mm-hmm very attractive yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like what's well, been interesting since then yeah. and it just opens your eyes about yeah. the publishing world yes, really. you know, my, bro- <laughs> my brother's take was um that we may be like living in you know it's kind of thing seth godin would say that we're living in the kind of the industry is changing it is, yeah. and not all of it has caught up with the world and also neither have readers and neither have we so my yes. my thing was there's a massive in my mind there's this massive cachet of getting published by a publisher yeah uh now when, but when i really sat with it it's like i'm not willing to let my kind of weird yeah. bias about that yeah. make my decisions for me yeah. so we're in this interesting place yeah. um yeah. but yeah i a bit like you had a load of conversations yeah. where i gradually started to learn including one with a friend who's been published by one of the big publishers yeah. who you know explained that she'd also hired a publicist for her book launch because the publisher doesn't really do anything yeah, absolutely and it's yeah. like yeah. well if they're not even doing that yeah. like why am i selling my work to them forever yeah you know, yeah. so that's where yeah. that's where I've got this kind of live for me yeah. at the moment. Like you, yeah. you can tell, I'm still thinking it through. I'm still working out yeah. what to do because I think there are really good arguments for there are really good arguments. There are good arguments for all the options. Um, yeah. but, but I guess it's including those those hybrid things. Yes. And one of my friends who used to work in publishing was saying one of the interesting things about it because she'd done some research on it recently for some work she was doing yeah. is you know, you can do anything now, yeah. anything from having someone yeah. publish it yeah. to, to paying someone to publish it yeah. and then just keeping all the control yourself to doing yeah. it all yourself to all kinds of hybrid things in between. So I'm in that place now where yeah. I'm like sitting with what I'm going to do with it. But it's why I guess I'm curious to hear your take, but also to to, to hear your... So so what did you do in the end? And what are your reflections on that? And, and I know, for example, and we'll, we'll you know, I want to hear a little bit about it yeah. before we get to the end of the yeah. time. Yeah. Um, you're working on another book yeah. um, so, so it's like what did you do with yeah. what did you do in the end with the power yeah. of human energy and what are you going to do with the next one so what I in the end did with the power of human energy I had a fantastic conversation with Nielsen's book company and the British Library and the, you know the, the people in the the know basically um and they said what well, this is great this book is really great why, why are you not publishing it yourself I said, right. because I, how would I publish it myself? I didn't even know you could publish it yourself, you know, as in how would you go about it? And they said, you know, because, I said, well, what, what, why would you, they said, because you have full rights then. And then, you know, because you have to market it and everything yourself anyway, but you have full rights of how you then go on to using it. Um, and I thought, oh, okay. Um, so they, they basically walked me through um, how I'd go about doing that. Um so that that's what I did. I thought, okay, this way I can then, you know, d- decide where I where I want it to be, where I wanted to go, because I wanted it to be available um, to, to everyone through all different sources, not just you know online, but actually through most good bookshops as well. 
um, so that the limitations weren't there. And um, that's what I did. You know, so, you know, I, I, best, I guess I paid twice for it, but, you know, it's, um, it's, it is expensive publishing yourself. And this is why I think people don't do it. But it, if you've got an entrepreneurial mindset, as you mentioned just a moment ago, um, I, I, I think, and you want that freedom to pick and choose, then actually it's, it's a good way of looking at things. Um, and, and I'm glad I did because it's just, as I say, snowballed. Yeah, and, and people like, um, I, was, I was again just saying off air, um, there's a beautiful, like uh, you were saying, you wanted the book to be not woo-woo, right? No, and there was this, yeah. this great review near the top on Amazon at the moment for, for the, the, the power of human energy where someone says, someone recommended this to me and I was like, I'm not reading this. It sounds too hippie or whatever. <laughs> and then he sits down and he starts reading, I think it's a guy, and he starts reading it and uh, yeah, just finds out how that it does, of course, have that rigorous thing. And clearly, like you say, there's loads of amazing reviews on online that people can read and loads of lovely um no, we call them like testimonials about yeah, the book from different yeah, people on it yeah. clearly it yeah. struck a chord and and i'm just so grateful i mean the, my first review was for my son my younger one um and I, the one who made you publish the it. one who made me publish it so <laughs> i i, I well, he owed you that didn't he, he did yeah. he did um and i said oh, okay as a mother's day present to you guys i will publish it because all of them were nagging me said mommy we really got to get this out there this is because they had read it they'd read the manuscript and they liked mm. it and i thought but you're a teenager and you like it? Said, yeah, it's really good. Oh, okay, all right, fair enough. And I had lots of lovely surprises. I mean, I'm so so blessed and, and so grateful for the five star reviews that are coming through. And thank you, everyone. And long may they continue. But the other, the other, the emails that I've received from readers, that's been incredibly humbling. I had one lady that contacted me that uh, emailed me that said. Um, my mum bought me this book um, for Christmas. She suffers from um, Emmy and and uh, yeah, Emmy, um, and she's she hasn't been able to do very much. But she said, "I've actually taken up a hobby for the first time in nine years, and it has really given me, you know, a new lease of energy. And I'm able to to read. I'm able to do, uh, you know." other things that she listed in her email um and she said i just want to say thank you so much for actually t- um, taking the time to write this book um because it has actually changed my life um and thank you to my mum for for getting it for me and i i was crying when i read the email i thought oh wow wow because you don't you can't buy these things can you you know when they happen it's just like so moving and and the other uh, couple of messages i had was there was one chap um who is severely dyslexic or for two two different people who sent me um, both of them dyslexic um and they said love reading but you know can't normally pick up a book and read it um but your book is not only well written but he said i can actually pick up a book and read it because he said it's not monochrome it's beautifully mm-hmm. spaced out it's a nice uh, font and you've got pictures in it um, and I carry it around with me and use it as a workbook, which was, which was again, really lovely. So you don't, I, I hadn't planned for those things. They just, you know, they're, they're bonuses. So, yeah. but, but it's also the part of that beautiful thing. I, I was talking to a different, another guest about this and I, I can't remember who it was, but it's, you know, it's like your work is, you're, you're doing work, right? Every, yeah. For all we know right now, someone is sitting there, yeah. maybe that one of those people, maybe somebody different yeah. reading the book. Yeah. 
and and that that work is out in, in the world now and that's the like yeah. the cost is feeling exposed the benefit yeah. is like it's doing work that you as a single human with one life yeah couldn't otherwise do and touching lives that couldn't otherwise touch well when I wrote it I was I just thought if it helps one person just to have a better quality of life if it helps that that'll be great but you know if it you know that it's helping lots more than one person um and you know it's it's not perfect it's not the be all and end all for everyone and it's very very simple I haven't padded it out um and for some people it's stuff they already know it's not new it's not rocket science haven't invented anything um I've just you know, put it together um, in, in to offer a level of awareness that it helps it helps us all understand how unique it is for us all. Because, for example, Robbie, how you power down, power and power through, will be completely different the way Emma does. You know. Um, yeah. No. Yeah. Definitely. She's she's absolutely um, a cooking person. Like it's really interesting to watch her doing that uh, as her way of of energizing herself, yeah. which is not which is not me at all. Yeah. Um, Carla we've got like a little while left there's a couple of things I want to make sure we catch just to tie up the publishing conversation just because I know this might be the kind of thing that people are interested in Mm -hmm. what so in terms of literally how you self-publish because for some people that's totally they've got no idea about that and I know some things about it and you know people can do it through Amazon these days as well that's one way what was the way that that you chose and is there some recommend are there any recommendations that you would make to people who are interested in that kind of thing about companies to use or or ways to go that kind of thing well i would i would the recommendations i would make is have conversations with people have have go and speak to people who have have published a book of what what's been their experience because no two people's work experience will be the same and so i think that's i found that particularly that i found that appreciative inquiry particularly useful Um, and also go, go and speak to those people I- who can offer you that service as well. So you can make an informed choice and informed decision and, and, you know, make a note of, okay, what are the different things offering you and what do you actually want? How much, you know, some, some people don't want to be in control. They just want somebody else to take care of it, all, which is absolutely fine. Right. Absolutely. You know? So it's actually, I guess, understanding, you know, what exactly do you need? What do you want? Um, and go and have conversations and, and find, you know, the, the provider um, that, you know, can, can give you that, can tick those boxes for you. Um, and it's not forever either. You know, you can change your mind, you know, um, uh, well, depending on what contract you sign, of course. <laughs> um, but everything's negotiable, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it sounds yeah. like it's, it's a beautiful piece of advice to find out really what you what you want and what you need by having the conversations. I think that's a that's a really a nice kind of frame to bring. Well, the colorism, um, uh, you know, uh, people say this is a colorism that will live with me forever. One of the things that people have heard me say throughout all my life is everything's worth a conversation. Nice. Nice. Everything's worth a conversation. That's really good. Yeah. That should, yeah, meme. You can put that on yeah. like a little nice, a nice meme on Facebook or, yeah. or, or something. Yeah, really nice. Carla, I've also got in my mind, like the unsneezed sneeze of this conversation um, is that I said I wanted to hear you talking a bit more about team coaching. Oh, yeah. Um, so that was a long time ago now. Um, yeah. And oh. it's a bit to crowbar it back in um, before we just get a little bit onto what you've got like coming up next yeah. in the future and of course. and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I guess one of the things that I think people sometimes struggle with is 
what is like how would you define team coaching like you use that phrase mm-hmm. and do you differentiate it from group coaching and like just as that kind of mechanical piece when you're coaching a team mm-hmm. how similar is that to your one-on-one work how does it look you know those kind of pieces really well, d- team coaching in in my experience I can only speak from my experience of course because d- different people have their own sort of styles um is you know team coaching for me is different to group coaching and 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 that's also different to one-to-one coaching you know you contract in a slightly different way so the yeah, what, what are the what are the key differences um, particularly between team and group coaching maybe because i think you know most people will have a sense of the one-on-one stuff well, but what's yeah with, with team coaching you normally or my style of working is you normally will have spoken to each individual before the actual team coaching um, moment uh, session um, and they will have known typically they work together or they know each other group coaching you know often they don't know each other necessarily because that so it, it group coaching is a bit like you know how we were group, group coached at the Robert Holden thing for example yeah he was an expert at doing 100 of us at exactly. once exactly um, so that to me is group coaching where you work, yeah, you know yeah. you're a room full of people that they don't necessarily know each other and if they do that's just a coincidence whereas team coaching is typically people who work together and do know know each other yeah. And what's the kind of, so you have to give people that haven't been involved in that before an idea, like for you in your work, what's the kind of reason you're brought in? I mean, maybe it's, it's energy might be a good example. It might be the one that's useful, but can you give an example of the kind of, uh, the team, a team coaching engagement you might do? Like you come in, you have some conversations with everyone. Mm-hmm. You maybe then it sounds like speaks to the team together. Like how, how might that look? And what's the kind of engagement that you might work on? Uh, with this, it, it ranges depending on what the sponsor wants to achieve. Um, it's, typically, it's dynamics, understanding dynamics, helping the team to um, co-create. You know, and it, their, what's their level of engagement on a particular task or subject or or a goal, a team goal or a company goal. Um, understanding each other, understanding rights, roles, and responsibilities that and the rights that go with those roles and responsibilities that's very popular do that quite a lot and mm. team dynamics again very popular team observation how to turn you know a, um, a functioning team into a high performing team uh, you know and what is the definition of a success team success because success is not a solo sport it is a team sport um, and helping people to uh, to look at okay well how does that show up for them um, and team mapping as well so understanding and respecting different resources and the strengths and the skills that exist in a team and how does that come together you know for the purpose of you know, the outcome um, for, the, for the, the organization or the goal or the task or the project or whatever it is they're working on um, so yeah it's Having done this for like as I say two decades, um, yeah. no two teams are the same. You know, team development is so much fun, really so much fun, um, because you can have themes and you know simulate different scenarios. And it, you know, one of my mottos, one of my styles is you know, cre- create um, an event where people can come along and have some fun because when people are having fun they learn more and they remember more you know i don't want to come along for them to feel like it's work because they do that every day 
So wherever possible to give them that space to to really, you know, develop themselves and develop with each other. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that fun thing is such a such a great thing. And for people like it's easy to dismiss that. Um, but I think that the science is getting clearer and clearer that that fun basically shifts us into the neurobiological states, yeah. which enable us to learn. Yeah. Um, and if we're not like if we're laughing, there's, we're almost certainly in a learning state. And if yeah, you know, so that's I think I think exactly. that's, that's spot on. I mean, for me, two two big things um, that you know I certainly pay a lot of attention to is how you manage the energy throughout the whole session. Um, uh, as well as the fun bit. So that those two things, I, for me, I think are um, pretty significant ingredients um, for a, a successful, memorable um, and useful uh, session outcome. Yeah, look, thanks for jumping back to that thing. But, um, but I just think because it's, you know, it's like, especially when people are starting out into the world of coaching, all these different words, types of coaching often mm. go sort of semi unexplained. And of course, it's your definition and all that kind of thing. Mm. And I think that it's a really useful distinctions that you've just made and, and really, really nice to hear about, about how you work. So thank you. Carla, believe it or not, we've come to this flown by for me, <laughs> we've come to the end of this conversation nearly. Yeah. Just before we go, like, um, the, the book is you know the power of human energy is one way for people to find out more about your work um yeah. is what else are you what else is coming up for you what are you excited about at the moment and is there any um are there any last things that you want to kind of share about that that you think people who are listening might might want to know or or might appreciate well um looking into next year now because this, this the calendar for this year is is crazy it's pretty hectic so i'm looking into next year with regards to putting some master classes out there some sessions on different on different things so you know look out for that i'll probably put it on linkedin um yeah, i was just going to say so that's including the writing one that people might be interested in yeah. is that yeah. linkedin is a good place to find you linkedin and my website is, is a good good place to find me or email and we'll have links to those in the um, yeah. or email me you know, well. people do email me and that works too so do, do do feel free to reach out and email um and i can give you the dates of when we're actually um, planning these uh, throughout peppered throughout next year so that's what that's nice. happening but also yeah i'm currently working on um, my next book um which is taking a lot longer than I thought because it's so busy. It's so hectic work-wise. And so I don't particularly want to take my foot off the gas with, with work um, to, to focus on the book. So I wherever I get pockets of time. And it's a creative experience as well. You know, you kind of have to be in that space for me, you know, when I'm writing or painting, you just have to be in that zone. So, um, yeah, that's that's the working title for that is The Power of Human Connection. Mm-hmm. And at the moment, that is massive and is already snowballing. Um, so we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. How interesting. Well, definitely um, come back uh, for another conversation when yeah. that's done, if not before, because I think, yeah. yeah, human connection, you know, given everything we spoke about, about about coronavirus and Zoom and all these things, but so many other parts of of the world and the way it's changed in, in swift ways in the last couple of decades. Yeah. Um, so much of that is around connection and its power and what's lost when it's not there yeah. and all those things. So yeah. yeah, I'm glad that you're working on that book and I uh, um, look forward to speaking to you about another time, but otherwise thanks so much for everything in this conversation. There's been so much for 
people to take away and just appreciating your yeah all the wisdom and experience you brought so I thanks so much Carla. thank you robbie it's been great to be here and i, I can't believe how quickly that's flown by <laughs> <laughs> yeah and like i said we'll um we'll put links to everything for anyone who's listening in wherever they're listening to this uh wherever you're listening to this yeah. but other than that carla thanks so much and yeah until next time thank you robbie until next time see you again hello everyone robbie here again um, hope you enjoyed that conversation between Carla and me. Um, you obviously, if you made it this far to the end of the interview, you obviously like something about what I'm building here. Um, and so I just wanted to let you know about a couple of things before you move on to whatever uh, you've got coming up in the rest of your day. So the first of those is that um, they're both ways to support the Coach's Journey podcast, what I'm making here. And one of them is also a way to get some support from me with your coaching. So you might be interested to support the Coach's Journey podcast, to pay some money every month, to just make sure it, it continues, um, to help me uh, cover the costs um, and then invest more in the podcast, whether that's getting it out to more people um, or potentially at some point in the future, uh, releasing more episodes. Um, you can do that at patreon.com slash the coach's journey um, and uh, pay a few pounds a month um, to support um, the podcast. And if you'd like to do that, I'd be really grateful. Another thing you can do at the same link or by going to the coach's journey.com slash community is join the coach's journey community. Um, so this is a way for you to get support from me to have a thriving coaching business, thrive as a person while you do it, and also a chance to meet and connect with other coaches who are on this path too. Um, so uh, we've had a couple of community calls already, uh, loads of interesting insight to come up in them on everything from um, resistance to uh how we take the step to declare ourselves as a coach in the world to the stories we tell ourselves about our um, uh, our testimonials um, to what what a business plan needs to look like for a coach and, and everything in between and outside of that. Um, they've been really wonderful spaces so far and super um, grateful for the people who have joined the community and joined me on this new adventure. Um, the next uh, call... Uh, the calls are all the de- calls for the dates for all the calls. Um, excuse me, <laughs> are at thecoachesjourney.com/community. The next, um, the next calls that are coming up. The next one will be towards the end of February uh, for full members only. Um, but the, one of the other key things about the Coaches Journey community is that it's it's designed to be accessible financially and also flexible. So you can join from as little as about ten pounds a month, um, uh, and you can find out loads more about. Um, that at those at thecoachesjourney.com. Um, before we go, I want to say a big thank you to new Diamond Level supporters and members. That's Peter Tavernese, Sean McMonagall, um, and Joey Owen, and also to the first full member of the Coaches Journey community, Kiara Eastall. So um, thank you to all of you, and can't wait to meet some new members sometime soon. Uh, take care, and until next time, and Happy New Year. Mm-hmm.